Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. God, thank you that you are here with us in this place. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your strength when we are weak. Thank you for your peace when our hearts are unsettled. Thank you for the cross and how resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing. God, thank you that you are near to the brokenhearted, the grieving. You comfort, you bless. And God, we pray right now that we just have open hearts, open minds, just to see how your spirit is moving. In your name we pray, amen. We are all shaped by the stories we tell in our families. I grew up hearing stories about my great-great-grandfather, O.L. Svensson. O.L. Svensson came over from Sweden to Iowa and settled in Swedesburg, Iowa in, uh, during the Civil War in the late 1800s. And I heard stories about him, and he actually changed his name from Svensson to Lindine, because there are too many Svensons, otherwise I'd be Eric Svensson today, which I think is kind of cool. But Lindine's cool too, it was named after the Linden trees. And he was one of many hardworking, independent-minded Swedes who turned a bunch of Iowan swampland into fertile farmland, really because of their hard work. And really, these Swedes came down to this area and built something out of nothing. And as I grew up listening to these stories from my parents who both grew up on farms in Iowa, I realized that these stories that I would hear shaped my family. The story of my roots is part of the fabric of my family. This idea of building something out of nothing. I think it's part of the reason why my parents started their own theater company that now hundreds of kids are a part of. It's one of the reasons why my sister started her own School of Music and homeschool co-ops and other small businesses. That's why my other sister started an online decorating uh, consulting business. It's why I started, I think, three different bands in high school and college, uh, a guitar teaching business, and that gave me the courage to take a leap of faith with a group of other people to start this church about eight years ago. I grew up hearing stories that Lynn Deans build something out of nothing. That's what we do. Lindines work hard, we start things, we build something out of nothing. Uh, and when I was looking for a wife, I found a young lady who came from a family where her dad built a company out of nothing, has sold millions of books, uh, has become very successful by building something out of nothing. And my kids have grandparents on both sides, as well as aunts and uncles who embody that truth. This is what our family does. We build something out of nothing. Well, I'm sure your family has its own stories too that you talk about that shapes the fabric of your family. See, stories, I believe, have shaped all our families for good and also perhaps for bad. You are who you are today in part because of the family that has gone before you. You are who you are in part because of your parents or your grandparents or whoever raised you. And they are who they are because of their parents or grandparents or whoever raised them. 
So you and I have this opportunity to shape the generations to come. You and I are in process of shaping the next generation by who we are, what we say, what we do, and what kind of stories we tell. Our parents and our families shape who we are. I don't think about, we think this very often, but do you realize that you're going to be somebody's previous generation, right? It's like, oh yeah, I had this great uncle Ryan who had these really cool cars. Some of them even ran on gasoline. Can you believe this, right? Like we're going to Someday, people are going to tell stories about their great-uncle Ryan or their, their great-grandpa Ryan. You know? But here's my point, is that you are who you are because of the family that have gone before you. If you're taking notes, you might want to write that down. The family that comes after you, your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, are going to be who they are because of who you are. Or if you want to personalize it, you can say, I am who I am, in part because of the family that's gone before me. And the family that comes after me, my kids, my nieces, my nephews, my grandkids, are going to be who they are in part because of who I am. The stories we tell are going to shape the fabric of our families. So we've been looking at this family in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, for the last several weeks. We kind of started with a big idea that God created the world, and God created us to have a relationship with him. And then at the start of this year, we narrowed that down to the family of Abraham. And then we followed the story of Abraham, and then his miracle child, Isaac, and now we've been walking with Isaac. He has a wife, Rebecca, and then last week, they finally, after 20 years of praying, 20 years of infertility, God gave them these twins. So we've been journeying with this family, and we're going to continue to journey with this family for the next several weeks. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 26. Uh, that's where we're going to be today in verse 1. Now, there was a famine in the land because the former famine, besides the former famine, that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. All right, so there's a famine in this land. We call this an economic downturn. This is like big banks are closing down, right? Other banks are buying them out. Interest rates are skyrocketing. People are having a tough time buying new houses. They're watching their savings dwindle. You know, their, their stocks aren't worth what they were. Uh, these are tough times. This is what, where Isaac's at right now, right? Kind of contextualize it for us. When Isaac's discovering the same lesson that his daddy Abraham learned early on, that sometimes the promised land can be a famine land, that sometimes God calls us to a place, a thing, and we think, oh, that means it's all going to be blessings now, but sometimes God calls us to that thing, and then there's struggle, there's hardship, that sometimes that promised land can look like a famine land. And so what do we do next? Verse 2, and the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt, Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. Now, at this time, again, there's a famine in this land. Egypt looks good, right? There's good schools there. There's food there. There's jobs there. But God tells him, don't go to Egypt. Because Isaac's daddy, Abraham, did that. And when he went down to Egypt, he picked up a girlfriend to go along with his wife named Hagar. And that created a huge mess. So we talk about that, that whenever we sin, we pick up baggage. Uh, and so that's what happened. Abraham went where he shouldn't have gone. He tells some lies. He picks up some baggage. He brings Hagar back with him. That's why we have uh, the issue uh, with his kids and all this stuff. But God is telling Isaac, hey, don't leave the place just because it's hard. Just because this is a tough situation right now doesn't mean that's not where I want you to be. 
Just because someplace else looks like a better opportunity, don't assume that's the best place for you or your family. I'm not saying never change jobs, you know, never move to another state, but you need to hear from God like Isaac did. Isaac said, God told him to stay. Sometimes God wants you to stay in a job or a town where things are not easy because he has a plan for you. See, God called Isaac to raise his family in this region. Well, why? Well, this region needed a godly family to be there, to be a light into the community. He tells Abraham, he tells Isaac the same thing, you are blessed to be a blessing, a light to this region. And that's what the Israelite nation is going to be called to do. They don't do a very good job of this, but they're supposed to be a light to everyone else around them. Perhaps, I believe right now, God wants you exactly where you are. Until he says, go, be a light wherever you are. Wherever you are right now. Another way to say this is make a dent wherever you are sent. Make a dent wherever you are sent. And wherever you are, that's where you're sent. Wherever you are right now, that's where God has sent you right now. And God tells Isaac, if he stays in the promised land, that's also a famine land, he's going to give him two great promises. Number one, he says, hey, I'm going to be with you. Man, that is the best blessing of all. I've shared how this unique opportunity, Craig and Molly came to our church last fall. Craig was a longtime youth pastor at Plymouth Covenant Church, so I've had the chance to help out Wednesday nights, giving some teaching. And I pop in in some of our small groups and have good conversations with a lot of the high school boys. We talk a lot about this. They're like, hey, we don't follow Jesus because he answers all our prayers. And just because, like, your hip's hurting a you got a track meet coming up, right? And you're like, oh no, if, if, my, if that pain doesn't go away, does God still love me? We don't, we don't follow Jesus just because he answers all our prayers. We follow Jesus, we love Jesus, we serve Jesus because he's with us always, in the hurt, in the pain. Even when it seems like it's a famine land, he's with us. And God's telling him, hey, I'm gonna be with you. Stay put, I'm gonna be with you. And second thing he says, I'm gonna bless you. He told this to his daddy, Abraham, and now he's telling to him, hey, Stay put, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. If you're taking notes and you write this down, it's better to be in a hard place with the presence of God than an easier place without the blessing of God. It's better to be in a hard place with the presence of God than an easier place without the blessings of God. I was talking to Ryan this week in the office, and I was, I was working on this part of the message, and I was like, oh, man, I, this is what I need to hear. <laughs> like, there's sometimes you preach a text and you're like, this is what, exactly what I need to hear. That even though it's hard, God says, hey, I'm going to be with you. Hey, I'm going to bless you. Stay put. Maybe this morning, that's what you need to hear from God. Maybe this evening is that he's going to be with you and that he's going to bless you. Let's go on. Verse 3. He's, God tells him, sojourn in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. How's all the world going to be blessed through their family? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, on down. Eventually, Jesus comes, right? As we celebrated in communion. How's the whole world blessed through their lines? Because Jesus came from their line to be a blessing to the whole world. And God tells Isaac, hey, I'm going to bless your family so you can be a blessing to the world. In the same way I believe God wants to bless us, not just so we can get more and more um, uh, things and possessions, but it's to allow us to bless others. 
I had some good conversations this week, people asking about tithing and money and all that. Hey, I said, here's the important thing, is that I believe God wants us to know that not everything that comes into our hands is for our own consumption. It's not just for us to consume. But God blesses us, and to think, how can we be blessing to others? How can we allow this to pass through us to bless others? So don't get so hung up on, like, is it the, the first 10%? Is it, you know, pre-tax, post-tax? Is it 1%? Is it, you know, what should I be giving? Hey, be a blessing. Just, again, I think just, hey, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I think it's a good life lesson that, to just say, hey, not everything that comes into my hands is for my own consumption, and that I should look to bless others. So in whatever way, we are blessed to be a blessing. Amen? Verse 6, so Isaac settled in Gerar, in this land. So he's like, all right, I'm going to settle here, even though it's a famine. He obeys God. Even though it's hard, he stays put. Egypt looks way more attractive. It's like, man, I could go down there, and you know, but he puts his faith and trust in God. He's going to stay. He's showing a lot of faith here, just like his dad. I think, remember that story? Uh, the, uh, Palm Sunday, we kind of wrapped up Abraham's story where he was asked this incredibly hard test. God asked him to sacrifice what he loved most, which was his son Isaac. And, and we read that in Hebrews tells us, Abraham knew that even if he sacrificed and killed Isaac, he believed in his heart that God could raise him from the dead. Man, incredible faith. But God says, no, I see now that you've not withheld your one and only son from me. How much you love me. That's what God showed us on the cross, right? He did not withhold his one and only son. So I think Isaac was deeply impacted by the deep faith he saw in his father, Abraham. If you're a parent like me, your kids are watching how you deal with trials, with temptations, how you deal with the things that God asks you to do that are hard. They are watching all the time. And we don't even know how that's going to affect them down the road. Again, years and years later after this, Isaac, I think, remembered the faith of his dad. And that deeply impacted Isaac. So he shows great faith and he's staying. But just like his dad, he's also going to mess up. Verse 7. And when the men of that place asked him about his wife, what did he say? Uh, She's my sister. Do you remember? That's exactly what Abraham said about his wife. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking lest the men of that place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. Does this sound familiar? Uh, Abraham, the patriarchal pimp, we called him, right? Abraham, he tells Pharaoh, hey, Sarah is not my wife. She's my sister. And I, I imagine, though, Isaac grew up, like, hearing Tom talk about this story, you know, like, maybe a bunch of times when he's growing up, it's like, yeah, remember that time, Abraham, when, like, you gave me away to the Pharaoh and said that you're my sister, not my wife? Yeah, 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 right? Like, Isaac probably heard this story, uh, and he should have taken better notes And it's like, now he's going to do the exact same sin that his dad did. But I think for us, this is important to know. It's, hey, what are my sins? What are the sins of my parents? Because there's a good chance they're related. And if you have not dealt with the baggage of your previous generations, it will continue on. That's just a psychological truth uh, that, that just there are things that get passed down from generation to generation. And you have to choose to say, no, this ends here. Perhaps alcoholism runs in your family, and you're going to say, no, this ends now. It, it, the previous generation struggled with this, but I'm going to be the last one to do it. Or maybe it's, hey, pornography has been a, a struggle in my family. Or, you know, um, people not um, staying committed in their marriages. 
and there's tools for this. Family genograms are called. You can find out, like, you know, what, what are the secret sins in, in your family history. Um, and, and that's all good tools to learn that's part of your spiritual growth. Like, don't put those aside just because uh, they might not be, like, in the Bible. But again, learning about the sins of your parents and your grandparents and things behind that can help you understand, hey, you may struggle with this too, and you need to break these bonds um, because you are who you are because of the family that's gone before you. And the family that comes after you, your kids, grandkids, nieces, and nephews, are going to be who they are in part because of who you are. Verse 8. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. Now, this is like a nice translation. Uh, the Hebrew suggests something a little more scandalous. So this is more like they're tickling each other, getting a little romantically involved, right? And Abimelech, the king's watching this, and he's like, what kind of hillbilly family is this? That brother and sister are doing some sketchy stuff together. And so he's like, wait a minute. This is not what he said. So verse 9. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she is your wife. How could you say she's my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought lest I die because of her. Who's Isaac thinking about here? Himself. Being very passive, very self-centered, same thing his dad did. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. As far as you know, is Abimelech a follower of God? No. Is he moral? Yes. Is Isaac a follower of God? Yes. Is he being very moral in the situation? No, right? Sometimes we have to receive the sting of a rebuke from a non-believer because they're right. Just because someone isn't walking with God doesn't mean they don't have the ability to hold you accountable or to give you some wisdom. Sometimes non-Christians have better morals and values than Christians. That doesn't mean their sins are forgiven and they're in the right standing with God. But sometimes non-Christians do the right thing and Christians do the wrong thing. That's just the truth. I've had people say, like, the church is full of hypocrites. It's like, yeah, you got that right. And hospitals are full of sick people. Did you know that? Right? It's like, let me in on a secret. Our church is filled with imperfect people who make mistakes. And you know what? If you're not perfect, we're cool with that. We're glad that you are here. There's only one perfect person, only one true hero, and that's Jesus. See, God created us in his image with the ability to do amazing and creative things, but see, we're born under the curse. We've all messed up. We've made mistakes. None of us can match God's perfect standard. But the Bible's filled with flawed and broken people. It's not like the fathers of faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are these perfect role models. They're all broken. They all need a hero. And that hero is Jesus, the one perfect one. See, Isaac learned a lot of great things from his dad. He learned about the one true God. He learned how to follow God with great faith. He learned how to love his wife. But he also fell into the same sins as his dad. He was a coward. He lied about who his wife was. He didn't put his wife and his family first. See, you and I, a large part of who we are because of the family that went before us. Isaac fell into the same sin as his dad, and this happens so often. So often, boys fall into the sin of pornography because their dad was snared by that sin. Pornography is a really big deal. I think churches don't talk about this enough. 12 years old is the average age most boys encounter porn. 40% of children aged 10 to 17 have been exposed to porn online. But it literally changes your brain. Uh, one quote I read was, the more pornography men consume, the smaller the brain striatum, the reward center of the brain. Girls who watch porn are less likely to intervene when seeing another woman being threatened or assaulted 
and are slow to recognize when they're in danger themselves. These are real issues that if we don't deal with in our own lives, our kids are going to fall into the same struggles. Now again, maybe that's not your issue. Maybe your mom grew up with a harsh tongue. And now you've realized you have a harsh tongue with your kids. And so you're going to have to break that generational curse. Perhaps it's how you spend your money. Maybe your parents are always broke, living from paycheck to paycheck. Never embrace generosity. Never biblical wisdom about savings. Until you realize that and recognize that and deal with it, your kids, the generation after you, are going to have the same exact struggles. See, we have to understand where do we come from? What is the fabric of our story? What are the strengths and weaknesses that we inherited from our family? I encourage you, if you've never had like a good conversation with someone, like really talk through, what are the strengths I inherited from my family? Again, it's like Lindines, we build something out of nothing. This is what we do. We have weaknesses as well. It's like, I'm not going to list them all if you're right now, but here's all our weaknesses. Everyone's like, I'm taking notes, right? Uh, you know, again, but it's good to say, hey, here's what I got from my parents that was really, really good. Here's the things I got from my parents that, you know what, weren't so good. And just to have good, honest conversations, because we've all received good things and bad things from our parents, our grandparents, all those things. You, you may say, hey, you know, my parents never said I love you, and I'm not talking about myself right now, but, you know, and it's like, I want to be more affectionate to my kids. Or, or to my grandkids, or whatever that might be. But it starts with having a very honest conversation with yourself, with a trusted counselor, with some friends in your small group, about just kind of who are we, where are we come from, where are we going. For those of us who are married, it's important to think, again, who are we, where are we, where are we going? Because I really think, oh, I'm going to struggle on this one too. The last day of your marriage is the most important one. Because is it going to end in, in fighting and frustration and divorce? Or is the last day of your marriage, by God's grace, you know, singing around the hospital bed as you say goodbye, that you finish well? And see, we, we have to think through that. And we have to think through how do we want to finish, and then we reverse engineer our life backwards through that. Saying, hey, here's how I want to finish. Here's how I want to end things. And we, we never know how life's going to go, but we can say, hey, here's the plan that we want. See, either you're going to make a plan or you're going to make excuses. That's your choice. How do you want your life to go? How do you want your relationship with your kids to go, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews? Are you going to be the kind of grandparents that are going to be able to pass on wealth to your grandkids, to your great-grandkids? Or are you going to consume everything in your own hands and kind of end with a zero-sum balance? What values do you want to pour into your kids, to your grandkids? If you're a coach uh, in any way, you know, what values are you wanting to install in those kids you're coaching, you're training, you're investing in? Again, I, th I think it's good to be intentional about these things, to have a plan. What do you want your life and your marriage and your family to look like when you're 75 years old? Get that clear picture in your mind. For those who are married, marriage affects and is affected by the rest of your life. 
I think one issue with some marriage books is they don't really talk about the other aspects of your life. And so it's good to have conversations like Chris and I had a few weeks ago of me admitting and confessing to her, hey, babe, I bit off way too much right now. And she's like, yes, you did. And so it's like we got to get through this busy season. And sometimes you just have to have those honest conversations of saying, hey, all right, I don't want to live like this forever. This is a season. So let's figure out how do we want to spend our time. You know, write it down, type it up, consider the downsides of your plan. What could go wrong? Include fun and margin for error. Like, like just how are you going to not have a boring life, but a fun life uh, together or just your life plan? You know, uh, take something off your plate when you add something to it. This is hard for me to do. You don't want to just stack things on until your life is a mess. Have conversations, whether it's a weekly meeting. Chris and I struggle to have like a set meeting every week of like, how are we doing, checking in. Some people are really good at that. Uh, but if you're not as, you know, every single week, then try once or twice a month at least. Checking in, how are we doing? How, what's going well? You know, what's not going so well? You know, here's some things, again, if you want to kind of reverse engineer your life, I'm going to wrap up kind of with these things. Number one, daily, you can pray for each other and with each other. We talked about this two weeks ago how important it is to pray out loud together. You know, read your Bible and journal your prayers. Eat at least one meal together without the TV on or other distractions. Try to go to bed at the same time. Weekly, if you're married, have a date night. Attend church together. Attend a small group or Bible studies together. You know, try to have a Sabbath day of rest and play. You know, you know uh, sync up your, your calendars quarterly. Go for a romantic or fun overnight getaway together. Talk about your expectations, what this is want to be. Oftentimes, when married couples go away to a hotel for the night, the guys and girls sometimes have very different expectations. So talk through, what are we hoping to do and accomplish in this night away? You know, annually, can you take a vacation together? And visiting in-laws doesn't count as vacation, okay? And so, can I get an amen? You know, work together on that vacation. Uh, don't allow other things to come through. And, and even if budget is tight, what can you do? How can you get away? How can you be intentional for these kind of marked moments? Unless we are really intentional with our lives, it's just going to pass by us. How many of you have seen the Adam Sandler movie? Uh, I think it's called Click. It's about a remote control. You have Bed Bath Beyond. He goes like to the Beyond section. It's like way beyond. And there's like this remote control. And he, he realizes he can like fast forward parts of his life. So he starts fast forwarding the boring parts. And what happens is like the remote control like gets stuck. And he like fast forwards like, I forget, like 30 years. And what he realizes is he missed out like on most of his life. And he can't go backwards. And it's, it's, like, it's supposed to be like this funny movie, and it's like incredibly sad and depressing, actually. Uh, spoiler alert. But the, the, that movie really shook me up. Again, it's like, man, but how easy is it if we're not intentional? The life is just going to fly by. So however old you are, you can be intentional with the time you have left on, on like, who do you want to be? I, I've been really captivated by this idea, again, of like, who do you want to be at 70? And it's like, are you becoming a kinder, gentler, more patient, more loving person? And if not, what can you change now so that at 70, you can be you know, more full of the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Like It won't just happen by accident. Like we partner with the Holy Spirit in our sanctification. And again, I think it's recognizing where have we come from, how has our families affected us, 
and recognizing that man, who I become in Christ is going to have an effect on all my family around me, my kids, my grandkids, my nieces, my nephews, uh, my in-laws, all these things. You're the model for how your kids are going to respond. Because who you are is in part because of who your family was before you. One of my favorite movies uh, is a movie called Gladiator. It's rated R, so I know I can't officially endorse it, but I love that movie. And uh, Maximus says, what we do in life echoes in eternity. I love that line. That like, who we are, what we do now, will echo into eternity. It's like, what are you investing in? On Thursday, we, a number of us went to uh, the Maple Grove Mayor's Prayer Breakfast, which is a great annual thing uh, where business leaders come together. We pray for our city, our leaders. And um, Dave Johnson, the former pastor of Open Door, he was there for 38 years. He spoke, and he started an organization called Things That Remain. Uh, and uh, if you don't know Dave's story, he's like slowly dying of this like, lung disease that killed his brother and sister and stuff. And so he doesn't know, like, he, he could have a year, he could have 10 years. He doesn't know how long he has left. And so... That idea of like, what am I leaving behind that's going to remain? He spoke on that. And, and his encouragement was, like, keep at it. Like, you don't know what your simple faithfulness, the fruit it's going to give. As you invest in where you are, as you love your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews. Like, and so invest in things that matter, things that will remain long-term. And I just thought, man, what, what, what a great message also for just this text of Isaac, the middle patriarch, who really gets kind of forgotten about a lot. Like, I'm only spending three weeks on, on him. I think I spent like 14 on, on Abraham. We're going to spend like seven on Jacob. Because <clears throat> he's not super creative, inventive. He sins just like his dad, right? Like he's, but, like, but like it's important, right, to, <laughs> to, to, to think through, like, man, what we do matters. And, and who we invest in. And, and Isaac raised Jacob and, and invested in him. And from him comes the line of Jesus. And so if it's true that who we are is going to echo and affect those around us, then what changes do we need to make? How do we need to change how we spend our time, our money, our relationship energy? Are there any relationships you need to mend those fences? Do you need to change how you spend your time so that you're investing in things that matter? I can't tell you the answer to that, but I believe God wants to. And so spend some time this week thinking about that, journaling it, talking with your spouse. Again, kind of reverse engineering. Who do you want to be at 70, at 80, you know, and work backwards? Are you on track kind of that that's where we want to go? Let's pray, and I'm going to invite the band up. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this imperfect, broken family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and just that, this whole family, and, and how, God, we see your grace so evident in their lives, even when they're messing up, even when they're making mistakes. So God, I pray right now that we would just fully embrace and live deep in the depths of your grace that all sin and condemnation and shame would just be washed away. But God, we'd embrace your wisdom. We'd embrace your spirit to make the most of our lives count, to invest in things that will remain, to invest in things that matter, that have an eternal significance. 
God, I pray for everyone in this room, God, that you would allow them to be a positive, life-giving influence on their kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews or in whatever way, God, they have family and, and people around them. God, that they would be a blessing. They would speak life and truth. God, that all of us would count our days, that we would just allow your wisdom to know how to spend our time in things that matter. God, thank you for this church community. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your family. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.